From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 198 with guest Carrie Alexson Tierman. Recorded Wednesday, February 2nd, 2011. Run As Radio is produced each week by Quap Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. With me, my co-host, Greg Hughes. Hey, how's everybody doing? How are you doing, Richard? Oh, things are good, man. Ready for a little run-ass? Yeah, got some pretty cool stuff to talk about. I'm, yeah, definitely. I'm actually pretty excited to learn some stuff here. Yeah, it's all that's always a good thing. And is it is there winter in Portland? Because it just didn't show up in Vancouver. Well, no. So well, well, we've had winter in Portland. We've had plenty of it, uh, and then we had lots of fog and rain. That right. never happens here. But actually, this week it's uh, completely clear skies, kind of cool out, um, but amazingly blue clear skies. You can see. Hundreds of miles. And the rest of the continent is buried in snow, so we shouldn't talk about it too much. Yeah. Well, it's not, <laughs> you're not supposed to, you're not actually supposed to say the S word. You yeah. Know? Don't, don't say that. Don't go too there. Late. Let's uh, dive into our topic today. And our guest is Carrie Alexson Tiernan, and she's the director of product management for desktop virtualization at Microsoft. Uh, Carrie has been working in the enterprise and management space for many years. She spent time architecting, deploying, and managing servers and desktops, including managing software distributions for a large distributed network of 60,000 seats using System Center Configuration Manager. So she is a believer. Very cool. Carrie's been at Microsoft for 10 years, thrives on learning all aspects of the company, including field-facing roles as a technical account manager and operations consultant, engineering roles such as the partner ecosystem manager and principal program manager for system center configuration manager, and for the past three years as director of product management initially for Microsoft's application virtualization and now responsible for Microsoft's desktop virtualization offerings. Welcome, Carrie. Thanks for having me, Richard. So we've talked about all kinds of virtualization topics on Run As over the past couple of hundred shows. And I think we only touched on application virtualization once, and that was a while back, I think shortly after the soft grid acquisition. Maybe you need to set us in context here. What is application virtualization? So what I'd like to do before we dive into application virtualization, if it's okay with you, is just set context around desktop virtualization as a whole. Sure. And then um, for the for the purpose of this discussion, I know you want to talk about AppV specifically, so we can we can dive in uh, more on that particular technology. Is that okay? Okay. Good. All right. So from a desktop virtualization perspective, Microsoft takes a desktop to data center approach. And we guide customers to view virtualization as a holistic solution to managing both their physical and virtual IT infrastructure and applications. So um, with Microsoft Desktop Virtualization, we really enable um, new flexibility that allows customers to deliver, test, and manage the desktop in individual layers. And ultimately, what this does is it enables them to roll out uh, Windows faster and manage it more easily. Okay. And when we talk about desktop virtualization, we really simplify it into um, really three cohesive layers. Right. And those layers um, specifically are what we call user state virtualization, 
which is really responsible for separating the user data and the personalized Windows experience mm -hmm. from the physical device. And then we have application virtualization, which is the one we're going to dive into uh, here today, which is really separating the application from the operating system and preventing application conflicts. Okay. And for us, application virtualization can be used uh, locally on the, on the device, or it can be used in combination with uh, hosted desktops or hosted applications. All and right. then the third layer is um, operating system virtualization, which, um, again, can be used locally or in hosted scenarios. And, and really the premise behind this is to allow a single PC um, to run virtual machines side-by-side -side to address legacy app compat or enable hosted virtual desktops in the data center a la VDI or, or remote desktop services. So at, at the core here, we've got desktop images stored on servers that deploy to desktops on demand? So in our uh, OS virtualization layer of our offering, you can deliver desktops locally using Microsoft's Enterprise Desktop Virtualization Technology. Okay. Um, so that's a, a, a VM that's run using the resources on a local device. Or if you, you're choosing to um, do hosted desktops in the data center, meaning the, uh, the server is going to do all the processing and just present the desktop right. down, um, you can take advantage of our VDI suites technology or, um, in some cases, Customers still use uh, RDS or session virtualization. Yeah, it's almost, that's more terminal services like. You got it. I like the idea of taking advantage of the hardware on the desktop here, not just making it a console. So you are actually moving the virtual image down to the desktop machine and utilizing that local hardware rather than going sort of the dumb terminal approach to things. So with Medvi, we, um, we do uh, provide a virtual machine that is local to the desktop. Mm-hmm. In the VDI scenario, uh, that image is stored locally on, on the server and presented down. We don't store anything locally in that case. Okay, that makes sense. So that, I mean, I get the OS side of this. I'm trying to get a, my head around how the applications and the user data are abstracted from that. So when you think about application virtualization, um, application virtualization can be used in conjunction with physical hardware, or uh, virtual desktops, mm -hmm. right? Because what you're doing is you're separating the application itself. So when you extract that information, you can deploy it down to a physical desktop where it will um, launch using local resources, or you can deploy it into a virtual desktop image or onto a terminal service where it will be presented. Okay. So, I mean, you have all those choices, but if you're running in the virtual service mode, then, I mean, almost the user data part of that, where does it end up living? Um, the user data under user state virtualization typically um, is replicated both locally on the device as well as centrally um, on a file server somewhere. Okay. And that, that's because you want um, users to be able to get access to their data and personalization regardless of the device that they log in from. So they may have their laptop with them, but then they may go to, you know, a field office and they left their laptop behind and they're just going to log in from a local machine. But th doesn't that depend then on synchronization, that if they do work on the laptop, that gets fed back to the server so that when they use the other workstation, it's got it? You got it. Okay. And, and that's where the replication um, occurs from the local storage up to that file server. All right. 
Yeah, and I guess that's a key part of this whole thing is keeping those things in sync. And I can appreciate the idea that you want to keep a copy on the desktops they usually use so that they tend to be quick. Right, right. I'm curious from a security perspective, what are the big picture security implications, both benefits and concerns that you need to be sure you address when you're starting to think about this? And maybe even in that context, maybe I'll just ask the little more direct question from an IT person's perspective, which is what what why should I care about this? What are what are those critical use cases that you suggest that I consider doing this in? So specific to uh virtualization in general. Microsoft takes um, advantage of the security principles that we have built into the operating system, as well as core active directory and group policy. So from a security perspective, we're leveraging all of the security features that you already have in place, um, whether that be taking advantage of AppLocker or BitLocker um, as part of Windows 7 or taking advantage of you know, direct access um, or, or, you know, other security principles such as uh, group policy and things like that native right. to um, the core operating system, desktop virtualization takes advantage of all of that. What we typically hear from customers is that um, they will often go to centralized uh, desktops or, or VDI scenario because they have data that, needs to be secured after the user has logged off. For example, financial traders can't leave any footprints behind. So what happens is they may have that VDI desktop wipe every time um, that user logs off, and any data that was used by that user gets pushed into the data center um, so that there is no way that that data can go off-site. There's no trace on the machine itself. Exactly. That's that's very kiosk-like, actually. It is, and in those cases, um, you know, the, they may have a PC that they're using to access, which they've locked down very tightly so that uh, security and data can't be stored there, or they may have chosen to um, move to a thin client device, which doesn't have any data storage and is tightly locked down as well. Right. Gotcha. You know, one other point, though, on, uh, in terms of security, one of the things that we have um, as part of application virtualization uh, through our, our policy engine that's associated with AppV is we can lock down um, the application as well, which means if you haven't checked in policy in a certain amount of time or connected to the network, we can prevent the user from running an application or launching an application. So in the event that, um, you know, a laptop gets lost or maybe an employee um, is no longer with the company or something like that, they can lock down policy to say, hey, if you don't check in within 10 days um, and, and let us know that you're still alive, you're not going to be able to launch those applications. And that's already on the machine. So if the machine never connects the network again and they don't get it on soon enough, it just kills itself? Right. It'll just it'll prevent it from launching. Interesting. And does this work across third-party apps as well? When I, when I look at the app V site on Microsoft, it focuses on, on Win 7 and Office 2010 and so forth. How well can you get this kind of control on something built in .NET? Uh, well, we don't, we don't necessarily look at the, the application construct itself. Okay. Um, w- what we're doing is setting policy around, um, which users are allowed to um, get access to the application through AppV streaming. Okay. Um, so we're not necessarily looking at the construct of the application itself. So it mean, means it'll apply pretty much to any app? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, as part of the, the distribution process, you set that up. So Microsoft apps, third-party apps, all of the above, is uh, we can take advantage of this in order to exercise that, that type of control. Correct. And a customer can go above and beyond um, that if they wanted to. If they have chosen to use AppLocker, which is part of Windows 7, they can set um, AppLocker policies against virtual applications as well. So what are the most common use cases for, uh, for you know, an enterprise in deploying something like this? And, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, IT stuff is can be really cool, but, you know, if you can't sell it to the CFO and if there's not a return on the investment, then in this day and age, quite often it doesn't go anywhere. So what what do you tend to see the sweet spot as? Where does this really apply? And maybe, without mentioning names, of course, maybe you can give us some examples of uh, businesses that have really been able to take advantage of this in a meaningful way. Well, I'd love to give you customer names, and I can, so I will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. That'll, that'll work. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so let's take the first part of your question. Um, why why do customers look at application virtualization? Um, there's yeah. a couple reasons that they that they look at application virtualization. One is to reduce application conflicts that they may have in the environment. And we've all heard of DLL hell in the past, and it's gotten better in the future. But um, mm-hmm. there are still some applications that don't play nice together. So the ability to reduce conflicts of applications by isolating each application into their own virtual environment. This means that the the operating system underneath remains pristine because we don't change registry settings and we don't overwrite local files. So that's one piece is, is the conflict resolution piece. The other piece is in terms of speed of delivery and updating the application. And what I mean by this is that when you stream an application down using AppV, you only need to deliver the first 20 to 40% of the application. And what that means is the user can get up and running much more quickly. They don't have to right. wait for the bar to you know, tell them it's done installing before they can be productive. And the third thing is from an update perspective, um, because as a part of the virtualization process, um, we suppress any reboots and we include all... Um, updates into the virtualization package. So when an administrator decides that he or she wants to deliver an update of an application, they place Mm -hmm. it out on the streaming server, they apply the security credentials to allow the user to use it. Now, the next time the user launches that application, they automatically get the latest version. There's no installation, there's no checking or anything like that. So so the the age-old problem of how do I know that my patch successfully applied to all of the individual installations of Office 2007, for example, that are out there. Um, I, I patch in one place, and the you're saying the virtualization capability is what actually gets those newly patched binaries out. Exactly. The in in the, uh, the difference between an app v streamed app and a traditionally delivered app is in a traditional delivery model, um, you typically target the device, right? And that kind of sure, gets back right. to your comment. If the device isn't on the network or if it's not, if the user doesn't have it turned on or whatever, that's a failure. In mm-hmm. the app V case, the user pulls it when they want it, right, or when they need it. And the update happens automatically so that you know it's actually installed. Just to dive into that, maybe one layer deeper, 
do, do I have the ability to restrict the app from running until the patched, the newly patched version, for example, is streamed down and enough of it gets down there to be able to run? If I had, you know, like a high security patch that was really critical, do I have that ability? Uh, you don't, right? The the way that it works is you give the user rights to um, the new version of the application, and when they launch, it automatically updates. Um, so there's no sort of in-between state, um, it, especially if it's using the same FTAs, because it's going to it's going to grab yeah. the file type associations and reassociate it to the new version. Right. Right. The only place I can see this struggles is when you're in a disconnected state or at a low bandwidth connection. I guess I, I, I'm concerned about how big the footprint of some of these the, the streams are. Well, that's the interesting piece about the stream, right, is that in a normal scenario, um, let's just take Office. Um, I, I don't know what their footprint is, but... 680 megs, and it's disturbing okay, that I know so, that. <laughs> so a 680 meg footprint, right? If you do a traditional download... Um, you, you got to pull that all down and install it. Yeah. Now, if you think about um, the 20 to 40 percent of a stream, you're, what I think what our internal packages look like, it's about 75 meg. Wow. How is so, that possible? So, because we're only grabbing the key components that um, are required in order to get the um, the application up and running. Okay. So what the administrator can do is they can customize what they want to be available at first launch. So if there are certain features that they know that their user base uses, they can add those in and that'll, that'll bloat, you know, that, that first stream. Sure. Um, but in general, we, we see it's somewhere between 75 and a hundred meg. And then the rest of it will come down in the background or as the user uses it, but just to get them up and running. Right. You're, you're about that. You're about that big, but, um, if it's okay with you guys, we can kind of talk about a couple customer examples to kind of bring it to life. Love to. All right. So we, we have, um, let, me, let me give you two examples. Um, the first one I'll talk about is BMW. And BMW, very well-known brand, um, car manufacturer out of Germany. Um, we see lots of them around Redmond. Um, they, <laughs> <laughs> I, they I think have, I've heard of them. <laughs> yeah. They have over 80,000 users in their environment, and they're highly distributed. Um, I think they have somewhere around uh, 250 sites wow. uh, worldwide. So um, that, that includes, you know, their corporate users, their, their users out in the, the manufacturing sites, their dealerships, all that. So they also have over 1,000 applications um, that they manage across the enterprise. Um, they've decided that they are going to use AppV and app virtualization as their primary mechanism for distributing applications down to their end users for all of the reasons that we talked about previously, the application mm -hmm. conflicts, the speed of delivery, the updates, and um, I'll, I'll talk about one more area is testing in just a minute. But they have since virtualized 400 applications um, and they deliver those down. And what they're finding is that they're able to reduce the amount of time it takes them to get applications down to their end users, meaning they can deliver service faster. So in the past, it would take them, you know, a month working with their outsourcer to get the application package tested and all, all of that before they could deliver it. They've seen that reduced down to, you know, just a, a very short uh, period of time in terms of, you know, just a week or two weeks. 
Um, they have since virtualized 400 of their 1,000 applications, and I think they're actually a little bit further along than that. Um, but they're seeing some really good benefits, and they're using it in conjunction with System Center Configuration Manager as well. So they're unifying the um, management of their physical and virtual assets um, through, through one specific console. Wow, it's, that is cool. And, and, you know, I know once you get to a certain scale, every time you roll something out, you deal with the uh, 2% that it didn't work on and you, mm -hmm. you have to do something else with that batch and that. And then there's a chunk of those that don't work. You know, when you're in the 50,000 seat range, it's three or four iterations before you've got 99% compliance. Exactly, exactly. And that, that gets back to it, it really depends on where the device is and, and whether it's on or whether it's off. And there's wake-on-land technologies and stuff like that that have helped to mitigate that. Um, but when you're going with more of a user-centric approach, um, I, I think you get a little bit more reliability. But that being said, you know, we've done uh, software delivery for many, many years. Um, and if you look at the number of devices that System Center manages across, you know, the world's enterprises, um, They've got it. They've got it down pretty well. AppV gives them an additional enhancement um, to make it even better. Sure. So let let me jump in with a question that is just prompted by by you know your description of of BMW and and testing. Um, what applications, if any, can simply just not be delivered in this virtualization manner? Um, you know, and and also as far as a delivery endpoint goes, like an operating system, you're delivering it to. Are there certain requirements around that, as far as you know, versions of Windows that you're going to deliver it to, and and whatnot? Mm -hmm. So um, the the versions of Windows um, we deliver to XP Vista Seven uh, without any problems, and we have customers that take advantage of it on all of those platforms. Okay. Um, so, so no issues there. Um, the client footprint is fairly small. It's a couple meg, if it's even that. I think it's, uh, it's even smaller than that. So no major hit um, locally. Um, there are a couple types of applications that can't be virtualized, and this is pretty consistent across the industry. Um, this is not necessarily specific to um, AppV. Complus, uh, printer drivers, and operating system drivers are really, really the, the key ones. And what we find um, when talking to customers is those tend to be a really um, small subset of their overall application base, um, less, than, less than even 20%. Um, so we continue to investigate if there are opportunities for us to expand in those areas. Um, but as of right now, those are kind of the key ones. I got to think that hardware-sensitive apps in general, and I'm, and I'm thinking CAD products, you know, mm -hmm. that, that are very video intensive, like those kinds of things are going to resist virtualization to some degree. Um, they're, they're okay to be virtualized as long as they don't require the hardware drivers to be contained within the virtual application. Right. If and they can still access the, the local hardware and devices that are available to them on the, on the system, they're generally fine. It's when the drivers are embedded as part of the application itself. Um, it is when it, it tends to not play so well together. But um, we virtualize AutoCAD today. Do you, you do very? I was I wasn't going to say AutoCAD because I have definitely run into issues with AutoCAD where you know because of the legacy of apps like that, they have done workarounds to Windows for years that made it very hard to let them work and play well with others. Yeah, and there's um I, I've heard some folks talk about Adobe um, and, and print drivers and Adobe and 
we've we've published some uh, KB articles and guidance around that. But uh, one one thing that I, I can share with you guys, just since we're on the topic of um, you know virtualizing applications and and what you can and can't and stuff like that. Um, you're likely familiar with our tech center, and I, I suspect your your um, listeners are as well, since they're they're fairly technical. Um, we have an App V Tech Center out on uh, out on a Microsoft TechNet, mm-hmm. and you can get to it online. And underneath there, we have a number of forums that are available. We opened okay. up a forum um, last year called the App V Recipe Community. And really what it is is it's contributions from customers, MVPs, and, and Microsoft employees with best practices oh. on how to virtualize the most common applications. Cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, yeah, very yeah. very cookbook-like. It is. It is. And it, it's, you know, we're seeing, you know, thousands and thousands of hits against these recipes. And the nice part about it is that, you know, if you're a first-time user of AtV or if your customer is, you know, in the adoption lifecycle where you're getting ready to turn the crank on a lot of applications, you don't yeah. have to be the one that's inventing the wheel, right? You can go out there right. and take advantage of the expertise from others. Yeah, or more relevantly, share you, you don't have to feel that pain again. Let somebody yeah. else feel that pain. They've already, they've already done it. Save yourself some cycles. I have to say that Microsoft's, you know, the past few years, Microsoft's pushed toward really growing the community and involving the community and opening up services to to facilitate that has been a has been a real positive move, I think, uh, over time and continues to be that way. It's just another example of that. Yeah, I'm really really glad to hear that. I appreciate that feedback. Um, we're going to do it again here in the next release of Atvi as well. So, is it, we're at four point six right now. Is there a four point seven imminent or a five? Uh, we are working on 4.6 SP1. Oh, uh, okay. And we talked about it. Um, we we kind of gave a little bit of a tech preview at uh, TechEd Europe in the fall. Mm-hmm. And w- there, there are a couple things that we're doing um, for the IT Pro to make that uh, creation of virtual applications even easier. Um, we've overhauled the, the sequencer UI, and the sequencer is the tool that you use to create virtual applications, and made it much, much more intuitive. So um, it now guides you through um, the, the three primary tasks that you would um, do, either create a virtual application, update a virtual application, or um, a new concept that, that we're introducing is called a package accelerator. And, um, what is that? The concept of a package accelerator is, is really interesting because we just talked about recipes, right? So we talked about, hey, these are the documented best practice steps for how to create a virtual application. Well, what a package accelerator is going to do is it takes those step-by-steps, so to speak, and it combines them into an instruction file that enables the, the um, IT pro to automatically convert the physical application into a virtual application. So any ISV can create a uh, package accelerator and post it out on their site or out on our forums. Mm -hmm. An IT pro can go in, download that package accelerator into the sequencer, and then the sequencer is going to ask it for the binaries. So, for example, um, Adobe.exe or whatever. And right. it, behind the scenes, will read that instruction file, 
cross-reference it to the binaries and automatically output the virtual application. Is there a use case or is it possible, are we talking about, you know, user applications or are there cases where people would um, maybe use virtualization to distribute applications that would run as a service on a Windows platform? Um, run as a service meaning on a server versus a client? Well, no, as a client, but I mean, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a little bit outside the box here. Maybe, I, I don't know, you tell me, but um, take like uh, some kind of an agent that runs on, you know, users' works, workstations like a antivirus uh, agent or something similar to that. Would this Is this something that fits into that world or are we talking about more about applications that users would launch uh, themselves? No, we're talking more about um, applications that users would launch themselves. So think, um, mm-hmm. think in the context of an Adobe Reader, an Oracle client, uh, Microsoft Office, um, any, any uh, commercial application that IT may deliver down to its end user. And they can also do it for their internal applications as well. But what we hear typically is help us with a commercial application so that we can focus on our internal ones because they're typically more complex. Sure, gotcha. Okay. But what we see that's pretty cool is that we're seeing the, the times to actually create these virtual applications come way down. Um, so, so the speed of, of actually creating the application is faster, enabling IT to get it out to their users quicker. Well, and you rattled off a, a couple of different style of app, too. Like, typically, people don't launch Adobe to Reader directly. They double-click on a PDF file from their email or off their desktop, mm-hmm. and, and the file association fires the app up, as compared yep. to Office, which you often do launch directly. Correct. And we handle both use cases. And in both cases, are you ba- you're essentially changing the launching process to go through this app v stream? Yeah, I mean it's done through the FTAs, right? Through the the file type association. Okay. So if if the file type association is directed to the virtual version of Adobe Reader, regardless of whether you double click it in an email or you go to your start menu and initiate it manually, um, it's still directing to the same FTA. Right. Because the file association is a file association, and you're going to control that. You got it. What about the effects of uh, communicating between applications when they're virtualized like that? Are they are they isolated from each other, can't see each other anymore? No, they can see each other. Um, applications can communicate. You can still do um, all of the cut and paste, sharing information between them and things like that. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so they still have the ability to do that. That really doesn't impact things in any way. No, I mean, I run all of my applications today mm-hmm. um, are, are virtual applications. I don't have any physical applications installed anymore. Um, and I am just as productive as I was, you know, previously. In some cases, maybe even more, because if something goes wrong, I can just do a policy refresh and, and that application just gets presented right to me again. I don't have to uninstall it and then go and find the bits and reinstall it. I just refresh policy, app vStreams back down, and I'm ready to roll. Well, and would the uninstall, reinstall process actually work normally? This all that sweeping up in the registry afterwards that's the real pain point. Yeah, I mean, we we show the the uninstall and, and reinstall, but app v doesn't really work that way because we store in cache, right? Yeah. And we write into our own virtual registry and things like that. So um, you don't really uninstall because we never installed. Right. Yeah, and I think it's a clever angle on it. It's just that that is not an issue. You don't do that. 
Yeah, we don't we don't worry about that. And the nice piece about that is like customers that are using AtV, right? What they say is that their actual time to recovery in terms of if there is an application issue is much faster because what happens is the user calls the help desk, right? The help desk person takes the call and they can initiate either remotely or, you know, through the server, um, they can initiate a refresh. Mm-hmm on the user's yeah. application. So there's no need to, you know, dispatch a local person down there to do that uninstall or reinstall. All they do is they do the refresh on the server, it does the stream again, and they're ready to go. Nice. And if they can't connect remotely to that user, um, and, and maybe the user's not as savvy, you know, they don't know how to get into the, the, the tools, um, they can just tell that user to log in and log out, and that'll kick policy off and they'll be refreshed. And, and, you know, you're talking a matter of minutes there as opposed to the duration of uninstall, reinstall. Sure. Well, Carrie, I think we're just about out of time here. Anything we've missed out on, places people should be looking to know more about AppV? Yeah, I think there are a couple areas that I can point your listeners to. One is um, the desktop virtualization zone out on TechNet. Um, that's part of the Springboard series. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are bringing together all of our desktop virtualization inf- technical information under that one zone. And that will link out to product-specific zones such as the AppV Tech Center and, uh, you know, VDI Tech Centers and things like that. So the DV zone is one location where they can get some information. Um, we have a number of uh, ITDM-centric pieces. If customers want to understand more about how AppV can help them uh, save in the, in the life cycle of application management, all the way from the creation, testing, and delivery and retirement of an application, there's a TCO study that's available out there mm-hmm. on Microsoft.com, WACDV, and there's also some additional analyst uh, collateral and then um, we will be delivering an update to both AppV and MedV through MDOP 2011, which is set to launch this quarter. So um, pretty exciting times, and customers will be able to get their hands on that later this quarter. Wonderful. Very cool. Carrie, thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks, Carrie. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.